1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Snark Monkey, episode number 21. We're talking to Denny Tedesco about a new movie that's opening this weekend. Um, It's opening on March 13th, depending on when you're listening to this. It'll be showing at the New Art Theater, but also uh, in Los Angeles, but will be available on demand and on iTunes. Denny is the son of Tommy Tedesco. Tommy Tedesco is a name you probably don't know but whose music you definitely do know. In fact, Tommy and the group of musicians who are now being referred to as the Wrecking Crew, back in the 60s and the 70s, they played the music. They were the band on some of the biggest hit singles ever, songs that you know. Uh, they were the band behind Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Waters album. They were the band behind the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds album. It was pretty much Brian Wilson and these guys, and then the other Beach Boys were brought in for backing vocals at most on that record. The Righteous Brothers, they were part of Phil Spector building his wall of sound. The Birds, there's an amazing story in the film, the song Mr. Tambourine Man by The Birds, the, the band played that out on the road, but the band did not play that in the studio. It was these guys, the Wrecking Crew. So Tommy Tedesco, Carol Kay, uh, Hal Blaine, the drummer, so many great names, but a lot of names you don't know. They created some of the most signature sounds in the history of pop and rock and roll throughout the 60s and 70s. They were the band behind the Monkees. They were the band behind the Mamas and Papas. They were the Tijuana Brass before Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass went out on tour. (laughs) Great stuff. The movie is definitely worth watching if you are a music lover at all. And it's also a really touching tribute from Denny to his dad. And Denny's been working on this since 1996. And the biggest issue he's had is to try and get the money to pay for the music rights, because you can't make this movie without this music. And we'll talk about that a little bit, and you'll hear about it. Uh, One thing, we kind of come in mid-conversation here. We had just a little problem with the very beginning of the interview. You only miss a few seconds of it. But we start out with Denny talking about how he started this project when his dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that's what inspired him to document... Tommy's stories, as well as the stories of the other musicians in this amazing group of Los Angeles studio musicians. It's a great story. Please see the movie. Check it out on demand on iTunes. It's called The Wrecking Crew. And take a listen to the story of both his father and the journey, the arduous path to finally get this movie out to the public. Denny Tedesco on The Wrecking Crew, episode number 21 of Snark Monkey. Enjoy.
0: You know what I mean? I just think that word terminal just was like, you you mean there's, you know, it was exactly what it meant. So I started that film, filming of my dad, and um, I just kept going, and the first year and a half was, you know, on and off, and, you know, got 97, he passed on, 98, um, we started doing this 14-minute edit, and we tried, you know, every which way to show it to people, and everybody kept saying, well, you know, that's great, but no one's going to ever come to help us or help you
1: they basically said this is interesting but nobody's gonna give you money for this. yeah
0: because they said you have too much music in this to make this film oh. work you have to have music yeah and you know and at that point we only at 14 minutes we had 50, 50 little clips yeah to get across um <laughs> so it was like that was not going to happen so we just had to keep going you know 2000 came around and i just would interview you know Talk about the project a lot, you know, and try to interview as I got along, you know. Uh, Glenn Campbell, I got Glenn, and then I got Brian Wilson, and then I got Herb Albert, Lou Adler, uh, Jimmy Webb. You know, it's when I sometimes it was like I was nervous, didn't want, you know, then finally get the guts to uh, try to get someone. You know, it took a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. but yeah. So obviously this was something. Well, I want to talk about. I mean, your story really is. How much you have been putting into trying to get this thing done? It a—you um, probably had no idea what a what undertaking, hurdle, what a—yeah, no, you know, how, how many hurdles you would have. So, uh, but yeah, you because know, you tell the story of your dad and uh, that remarkable group uh, in the film, and I want people to see the film. But let's just do a little background. background on you. Background, yeah. Yeah, where'd you grow up?
0: Well, I grew up in the Valley, in yeah. Northridge. So you were here all your life. Yeah, my dad and mom came out to California in 1953. I'm born in 1961, right? And and you know, I only knew you know what valley life in Northridge. You know, I went to school, Notre Dame High School, and and Dad just went to work like any other Dad. I just didn't know any different.
1: My son went to Notre Dame. Did he? Yeah.
0: Wow. Does he know the building that's named after me there? Probably not. What is it? It's not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I like to tell everybody I yeah, know yeah. <laughs> no, It's not there. I mean, we, we Just
1: all, in case. We all, paid, we all paid enough money into that place that there should be um, something named after us, right?
0: Thank God the, the school is so much better than it
1: was when I was there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Aww. It's a great, yeah. It's, it's a, a great, great high school, school. yeah. Um, so you lived here in the valley. At what point did you recognize that your dad must have been playing guitar around the house? And no, stuff, right? No? no,
0: no, dad. I, you know, I never saw dad play guitar. Really? I, I believe not it. even Is just it? for fun or no, at parties never, or no, anything. Nothing. Dad went to work. When he came home. Um, I never saw him pick out a guitar until the seventies late seventies because then he started doing his jazz thing right, but Dad went to work don 't forget he 's going twelve hours, fourteen hours a day so if he 's left at eight in the morning to go do a call at say Universal Studios and he 's got to go do something at capital later, maybe gold star later he 's gone twelve fourteen hours a day yeah. he 's not coming home to practice he doesn 't need to
1: yeah because he 's playing all He's all the the time. day yeah
0: and and that was the one thing that was different from him versus let 's say a Don Randy you know, Don Randy, the piano player, right. Don was always playing in the clubs as well. And then he was, uh, he was saying the other night, he, he spent, uh, when he finally had to quit the club Sherry's because he spent like $6,900 on, you know,
1: uh, replacement piano players. And <laughs> you know, he thought, this is stupid, you know? Um, so when were you aware that your dad was making a living playing guitar? Well, I guitar? always knew what he did, yeah.
0: but it didn't, you know, but if you don't know any differently... It wasn't like I was hanging out with a bunch of musician kids. No. You know. Or,
1: because, he, I mean, you were saying, not only was he, I mean, he was just gone a lot. So you, yeah, you, you only saw him in kind of, you know, brief glimpses. Yeah. Like most, like you know, dads, family. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So he was, if, to him, and it was, this was clear with all the the people you interviewed that um, because they were taking as much work as they could get, and then yeah. they were also in demand at the same time, yeah. that they treated it very... Much like a like a blue collar job, it, like, is, it was like blue, it was yeah. it was hard work and it was long hours, yeah. and it was uh, a a craft as opposed to an art. Despite the fact that these amazing things came out of what they contributed,
0: right? And it's funny, I think the. It, it, here's you said two things craft and art and it's interesting because my father said listen You got the music and you got music business mm-hmm. sometimes they mix yeah, you know It's how you mix the two, you know to make you know the product Sometimes you know he could if he wanted to do his own album that hey, that's music, you know, right? Yeah, That's what I want to do But if I'm you're, you're paying for me to do something on an album. I play what you want me to play Yeah, you're a hired gun. I'm a hired gun if but I might think you're wrong, but it's not up to me to say I think you're an idiot. You yeah. know, you got to play what he, what you're given.
1: You know what's so fun about the movie is that you you get to kind of relive a lot of those moments where there were some pretty memorable music made. Yeah. Uh, in in some special situations, what. Um, what people probably don't realize, because you focus a lot on that, is your dad and all these guys uh, probably playing on a lot of crappy stuff. Too oh yeah, <laughs> that nobody ever wanted to hear again. No. And that's so, what, that's so they, what he said. they weren't even probably conscious of uh, no. until they heard on the radio this random song they had worked on was like a big top forty. That's hit. it. You said it because don't forget.
0: I said, well, first of all, my father said when they asked should he have been paid more money, he said no. He says I got paid very well. He says, you know, I made hundreds of hits, but I made thousands of bombs. Yeah, yeah. And I never gave anybody their money back. <laughs> so, you know, so he had a really, you know, good sense of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't know, you're not recording hits. You're recording songs. He didn't know he was on hits until sometimes many, many years later, because it was just tracks to him. Yeah. You know, you're going from one, two, three dates a day and you're playing three or four songs in those recording dates, let's say during the morning, then you're doing another three later in the afternoon, another three later, You're not; it's not there in your head.
1: Yeah. And he's probably not popping on Top 40 Radio after a not long at day all. at work. He did not care less about no, that. <laughs> That's, he didn't know what was going on because so, he didn't want to. I would imagine it's probably some know. random, you know, he's sitting up watching some random... Variety show at home or something. Uh, it's like there's somebody doing one of the songs he played on
0: yeah, or you know what? It was the one was up up in a way. It was a good one that he fifth dimension fifth yeah. dimension He didn't know he had done it and the only reason he knew was when um, uh, Oh Jimmy Webb, the writer obviously he gave the guys a little Grammy charm for bracelets and stuff And it was like a thank-you gift and he, he said to how what was this for? He says, that was that thing we did last year with the Fifth Dimension, you know, that won the, you know, the Grammy this year. Oh, all right. Now, what's interesting <laughs> is I oh, listen right. I, I listen to this song, and it's my father. There's a certain thing my father did was that he was great at the gut string, the classical guitar, playing that pretty, you know, Latin stuff. So I hear it all the time. I know that's him. If it's electric, I might not know it's him. Yeah. It could be anybody. But... You picked it right but, up,
1: but he just. Uh, so but he didn't listen to radio. Yeah. So at what point did you realize that he was involved with music that was that was being heard? I mean, probably. You know what probably was I realize
0: is probably when I'm about 10, 11, and yeah. that's when someone says, hey, your dad's on the Partridge Family album. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> then it became something. Beach Boys, forget
1: it. I don't yeah. care. Yeah.
0: You know, there's a difference between... It's funny. It's like people always say about this film, every song is a bookmark in someone's life. Well, me being born in 61 and my brother's born in 51, there's a big different gap there. Yeah. So that bookmark in my life for... Me at 10 is going to be, like I said, it's going to be a Partridge Family, maybe. For him, it could have been a Beach Boy song. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was a difference of uh, what, what hit you at that time. So, what did your mom do? Mom was mom. Mom? She was a homemaker? Yeah. She was, uh, she took care of uh, everything. It's funny because, um, you know, when they, where they were from, they were from Niagara Falls, New York. You know, poor Italian, you know, kids. They didn't, you know, they didn't know anything. They were so not savvy to the world. 1953, Dad's working at a chemical factory in Niagara Falls, you know, and they went to a dance at Niagara University. They were invited to this dance. And there was a big band that was going through there. It was called the Ralph Martieri Big Band. And at the time, they had a hit uh, with Carnival, uh, the the, um, Caravan. Sorry, Caravan. And um, it was a lead guitar piece. And they said, hey, the guitar player's leaving. And someone said, well, my friend has, he plays guitar. He said, well, let's see if he wants to try out later that night. So he said, okay. So he gets my dad to try out, and he gets the job, goes on the road. You know, this is 1953 now. They go for a couple months around the country. They get to Dallas. Well, first of all, no, they get to... Hollywood. Now they're on the Ho- Hoagie Carmichael show. My father's meeting other musicians that are making a living. You know, what do you do? Oh, I work in the studios. What's that? Da-da-da-da. So then they keep going, and they get to Dallas. Dad gets fired with the, um, the singer, because they, they found a guy that could do both, you know, <laughs> just like any other business. There you go. Consolidate. <laughs> Consolidate. It's, Let's it's
1: always happening.
0: If it's not in radio and TV, it's <laughs> the <laughs> band. <laughs> So my dad's so ashamed. I mean, he really is like, you know, he's 23 at this point. He's going back to Niagara Falls, a loser. You know, now there's people in Niagara Falls at that point that said he'll never make it. They're like, really? Nice. So there's already, the, your friends are rooting for you. You know, not oh, really. You know, what wow. I mean? so you get that kind of weird thing. Yeah. So he tells my mom, says, we're going to go to, let's go move to Los Angeles. There's work out there. And so that's what happened but then i asked my mom recently two things i said how long were you in a, you know home before you moved to los angeles like was it six months a year she said no it was 3 weeks she says we hadn't even paid off the wedding furniture yet that we got she says we sold it to get across country and then you know which is illegal you know probably paying that off and then <laughs> and then i asked and she says dad almost didn't go to that dance oh that was the thing as i asked her i said Was dad working a lot as a musician in nineteen fifty three? She said, No, there's no work for a musician. You go to parties, there's maybe a job or maybe a a wedding at the time.
1: Yeah, local dances. Local dance, yeah, there's nothing really.
0: It's you know, again, small town America. She says he almost didn't go to the dance because he got a gig in Pennsylvania with his trio. You know, and he didn't want to go to this dance. He hated that. And she said, You gotta go. Because I paid $35 for this dress. <laughs> so that $35 dress changed my life, yeah. their lives, and music. When you think about
1: it. How remarkable is it that those two stayed together as long as they Very did? Very remarkable. Because, I mean, if, <laughs> if you look at some of the other, even, yeah. you know, Hal Blaine in particular mentions this yeah, in said, some of the footage. Yeah, uh, I said, yeah, that
0: was the question I had for everybody. How did it affect your personal life? Sure. And Hal said, well, I had six wives,
1: you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, your wife, uh, your wife, your mom must have had an, you know what an immediate was? understanding it of was. what his life was going to be. It was a,
0: it was a, um, there was something about them. And I, and I think I can, you know, just crossing my mind now as what I'm about to tell you. It was a work ethic. both the, Both families had. My mom, when she was a kid, she worked in my grandfather's garage. You know, she was a little girl pumping gas, you know, 1930s. You know what I mean? Or, you know, jump. You know, driving a truck in 1950s to, you know, Rochester to dump a truck or something. Right. Do you know what I mean? She was a little tomboy there. So I think there was this something about you did this for your family. There wasn't a question mark about it. When what mom was doing was when dad was, mom was work when she, when they got here, mom was working at Lockheed. My dad worked, I think, somewhere else as well then dad got finally he got busy enough in guitar and then finally mom stayed home when she had i think when i was born and then she stayed home for the rest of the time but what she was doing though was booking dad meaning like you got your jobs by people would call the house are you available blah 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 and she would say yes or no and she would write it down and you know book it so this is way before we didn't have you know yeah, cell no phones nothing. yeah
1: so she was his messaging service innocent was yeah. yeah and then they had they a messaging yeah. uh, you
0: know they had an answering service yeah. what, again this is all work ethic right. at this point these people all these musicians are kids coming out of World War II you know some are poor you know most of them are poor you know kids um, you know so they're starting this work and they and dad is very lucky at this point oh my god I'm making money
1: playing guitar yeah. That's
0: something that was not going to happen. That
1: w- was was it a goal for him? Did no, he, no, he just it, no, 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 it, no. That it was, it really fell into yeah. place because he of just what, thought he was going to be working at a at a factory or an aerospace it was, or whatever. Whatever play was guitar available. On the weekend. Yeah,
0: there was you know, and you know, that was I, the only reason I think he went to uh, Hollywood and not New York is I think he just liked the warm, yeah. you know.
1: Well, he was in frickin' Niagara yeah, Falls, exactly. <laughs> why would
0: go? Yeah. So,
1: so the so your parents, your mom. I mean, he wasn't like some big celebrity. I mean, that kind no. of that plays into it too. It wasn't like he was famous. It wasn't like he had groupies. That yeah. and you know, and you like you say, it was a work ethic. This was his, you know, grab his lunch pail and his guitar, yeah. go off to work and work really hard. I was shocked at the kind of hours. These guys put in. Yeah, and that's the thing is. uh, And jumping jumping all over town at all hours of the day and night. And, you know,
0: you look at, if you take the center of, let's say, of all this happening, say, Sunset and Vine, you got RCA over here, you got Gold Star at Santa Monica and Vine, you got Capitol Records up on Vine, you got on Santa Monica, um, or Sunset, you had United Western. There were all these studios within a mile or two. So you could get from within ten minutes to the next call, so they would ha- call at eight and each recording date was three hours, so you could go from eight o'clock in the morning to eleven o'clock, and they I think they could hold you for an hour for overtime, so you had to hopefully that that you know if you're going to take the next call at twelve, you better hope the guide you got to get out <laughs> and um And they all were pretty cool about it. They yeah. all knew what was going on. it was union. So most of the stuff was a union. Yeah. So, so they, they were
1: guaranteed a, a pretty good wage. Pretty and, good wage. Yeah. And but, it was really up to them. I mean, like the three-hour thing. That's probably a union thing. You can't. That risk. was a union thing. Yeah. What
0: the that was what they were doing there was union. Glenn Campbell told me what it was. He said. You know, you were allowed to do, I think, three or four songs in three hours. And the reason was they didn't want you doing any more. It was like factory work. You don't want to knock out a car within a day. Right. You know, you want to space that thing out. <laughs> so you don't want to knock out an album in three hours, which you could. You know,
1: because <laughs> you're killing yourselves. Yeah, well, that's and that's also one of the downsides mm-hmm. of the, these guys being so good and so tight, is that they probably could have squeezed in more in, well, in, in one session.
0: They, But the thing is... The, I'm glad they didn't, because not just because financially, it did you know listen, you're always better to take your time to do that one, sure. two songs, sure, but they were so good, but Glenn Campbell said it was like perfect. He said, I was playing with Michael Jordan in that room. Everybody in the room was a Michael Jordan. If you couldn't play or keep up. Forget it. You're killing us because the next gig at 12 o'clock, we can't miss that next gig. So we're waiting on this guy. We're wow. going to die here.
1: So there's some pressure there, too, for those people. Oh, it's yeah. It's like you really have to step up because everybody else in the room is at the a top of their caliber. game. And they're also expecting that's you, why, you that's to That's why it's up. very
0: hard to break in. Yeah. You know, there's, they call it the red light syndrome. Yeah, you could play your ass off, you know, in a recording or anywhere. All of a sudden, that red light turns on. It's like now you got music in front of you. Especially in movies. Now you get music in front of you, and your part doesn't come in, your solo doesn't come in until bar 84, and you got an orchestra there, and you're sitting there counting till 84. <laughs> and then you got to play beautifully.
1: That was what my father had going <laughs> for him. That's great. It's a whole different kind of musicianship. That, that a typical, yeah, it, you know, like you say, a, a, somebody who just practices and then plays on the weekend, or somebody who is thinking from the standpoint of an artist of. You know, I'm just going to go out and tour and that sort of thing. It's a different mindset. It's a totally different mindset. And the other thing was
0: what in the early days why these guys were so in demand, you were talking about, is because there was only one track. And, you know, it was mono. Right. Right. So you couldn't punch in, you know, like edit really easily. You had to cut tape or you had to do this, but it was hard to, it was easier just to redo the whole track.
1: Yeah, you're not doing individual parts on individual tracks. This is an era where technology was getting better bit by bit, but it was still, at best,
0: four-track recording. Right, and then they had had two tracks, four tracks, eight tracks, and they said, what are we going to do with all these tracks? (laughs) That was the funniest thing was you hear this, what were we going to do with eight tracks? That's crazy, Tom. Now there's
1: nothing. No, you can literally, it's forever. It's infinity tracks now.
0: It's crazy. I think that's, And I think that's what the problem now is. And we talk about this in the movie a little. And you talk to musicians of today, they talk about it. The problem today versus those days, and we're not talking about that long ago. Musicians had to be in a room together. Mm -hmm. There was a benefit of being in a room together because you played off each other. You listened to each other.
1: That's where the magic happened. I mean, almost every great story that's in the movie about these signature bass lines or right. these signature solos or whatever are almost all accidents or uh, can we try this or right. some one player says is having trouble with it and the other one says well what if we did something somebody- I mean it's right. almost all that. It's, and, and those, those are the signature moments yeah. of those songs.
0: And that's the thing it doesn't happen now if you're not a musician you know you, if you're a musician, you understand that now, is when they lay the drum track, the bass track, and everybody keeps piling on, the producer's layering it, mm-hmm. you know, he's in control. Well, you can't, the drummer can't, you know, turn the corner right, here. Right, right, right. Because he's
1: already laid down. Something. Yeah, you're locked into what that yeah. guy did, and yeah. you're just having to hear it. I think it's interesting, that's a different perspective on guys like... Well, there's some bands like Dave Grohl and Food right. Fighters. Right, remember,
0: and he made a big point of it yeah. when they got the, the Grammy, I think it was. Right. He said, I want everybody to know we were in the room together yeah. when we did this,
1: which is great. It was less, you know, recording analog on tape was less about, you know, whatever sound, whatever warm sound or whatever you want to say. It was more about... Forcing everybody to play together yeah. in one room, and that's uh, interesting. Now, so while all this is going on through the '60s and into the '70s, you're growing up. You're yeah. in the valley. You're going to school. Did you start to have some musical inclination at this point? Yeah, I mean, I always had inclination. Yeah. When did and, you? Did you, When did you kind of pick up on stuff? Did oh, well. No,
0: hey, here's the thing. You say inclination or pick up on stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, were you? Sure.
1: Were you having to? Did they make uh, you take piano we, lessons? I think, you that know, usual ma- kids. Yeah, yeah. We took yeah. piano for a little while quit that uh took guitar quit that this is you and your how many siblings yeah.
0: uh it was well three young ones and yeah. an older one my older brother actually played piano and got into bands when he was in high school so he was young and my you know he was the only one that actually did something with bands and right. then my younger brother damon tedesco is uh sound engineering records orchestras yeah so he actually but you guys
1: gravitated it. to it it was in yeah, the dna
0: a little bit but you know, to go back to me though, the saxophone was one of the instruments I quit. But that <laughs> one was, of the
1: instruments one you quit. Of the instruments, How long is the list, Denny? It gets bigger. I
0: ended with accordion. <laughs> accordion.
1: <laughs> that, but I wanted to do accordion. At what I, point did you think that you were going to get chicks with an accordion? That I, it was my mom.
0: <laughs> That's funny you said that. Every Christmas, i right, You got to realize every Christmas, my father and we would my mom would pull out this accordion she remembered one part like maybe eight bars of this tarantella you know and she would you know whatever it was i thought god i'm gonna take that thing i'm gonna learn that thing because i figured i could learn just enough to pretend like to get it across yeah so i call frank morocco the great accordion player of all time in la and i don't tell him it's me i said hey frank um you know, a friend of mine wants to do accordion. I said, can you recommend someone? He says, yeah, there's someone down in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, I said, okay. So I go down there, and it's like this. She's got this thing, like, just like it's a compound. Barbed wire around her studio. It's like, oh, my what? God. I, she was nuts. <laughs> so I go in, and it's a big space. It's like a garage, but it's a big space. And it's, she's got all the great pictures of all the great accordion players around the room. It's like this temple of accordion. <laughs> so I sit down and open this accordion up. And she starts going after me. She goes, oh, and she's disgusted by how much dust on this thing. And, and she says, people throw up on these beautiful instruments. I'm like, wait a minute. It's been 1932 this thing has been around. <laughs> no one's thrown up on it. I promise you. So she's made me nervous. <laughs> oh so, she's, so now she's going, it's like this Midwestern lady, you know, the polka queen or something. So. She says, do you read music? I said, well, I could read. You know, this I could read. You know, the C, the D. I could do that. Right. I start. And she goes, and she starts counting. One and two. And And now I'm rushing because I'm so, And now she gets up. Now she's upset with me. And she starts hitting me in the arm. No, count. Like this. (laughs) One. And I'm thinking, she's hitting me. She's touching me. I'm an adult. I don't have to do
1: this (laughs) anymore. This is like resetting the movie Whiplash with accordions. That's hilarious. That's a great idea. (laughs) Shh turn it, erase this tape, we me doing it. Okay. <laughs>
0: that is a funny oh my, idea. That's
1: a brilliant idea. That is a brilliant idea.
0: So did but you the, ever
1: get any further with that? No. And no. the only reason
0: I wanted to do it was, after I quit that, was I wanted to just surprise my parents at Christmas time. Yeah. Just yeah. say, well, just give it to me. Let me see if I could do it and just finish it. But I never got there. Oh. The, the what sax, a good son, though, by yeah, the way. Yeah. <laughs> the, the sax, though, was at Notre Dame High School. It was getting in the 70s, and I was typing class. I had to get out. Because it was another, you know what it is? I don't like authority touching me. Yeah. And this brother, Ricardo.
1: Not many people do, by the no, way, I but guess the, not. sometimes they just put up with it. Uh, were you a troublemaker? Was no. there no?
0: All I was doing was looking at you. Feel, you know, it was those days with typewriters that, you know, they were manual. Yeah. And you had to listen to marching music and you had to look at the. Oh, oh my you could God. never look at the keys. If you looked at the keys, you, he came around with the ruler and smacked them. Oh, wow. So after half a semester, I thought, I'm want to type now. I don't want to be here anymore. I went to the dean and said, Can I get on this? I really want to be in the band, blah, 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 blah. Dad's a musician. I tried to, you know, did the whole thing. He said, All right, fine. And they gave me, went to band, they gave me a saxophone, but I was the banner carrier in the end. <laughs> I never played. <laughs> <laughs> but I was the best banner carrier.
1: Yes, you were. Uh, you guys sound like a tight family. I mean, when you did get the chance to hang together, I mean... Yeah. Not I mean, a lot of drama? I mean, was Oh, it... there's
0: always drama in families. But yeah, yeah,
1: but any family. But yeah. it sounded like you guys really... We, we, we loved each other. Yeah.
0: And that was the thing about my father, I mean, you know, we always talk about it, you know, Dad could, you know, he could push a button and I could push his. Yeah. You know, and that's the hardest thing about, you know, and I look I see it now in my life where I'm doing it to my kids and yeah. they're doing it to me, you know, but I always remember when he got sick. And it was like, once you got diagnosed, it was like, you know what? No more. No more fighting. Yeah. It just stopped. Yeah. And the fight, someone asked me, I think it was Mark Marin, you know, the podcast. He said, what did you guys fight about? I said, I don't even remember. It could have been anything. Yeah. The water was too hot. It's just father-son stuff. It didn't stuff, matter. You know? it didn't oh, yeah. matter. Yeah.
1: Well, also, and it's, you, you know, you got if you got that Italian thing, then there's just that, that yeah. level of just passion going yeah. on one way or the other. And he it's funny
0: because, it, like, music, you couldn't fight with him about music, What are you you know. Yeah, you couldn't and, argue with him. So, he's, you know, and he was pretty good about, it, like, he never, like, said to us, what are you listening to that crap
1: for? He was never, really? no. Was never. he interested? Did he pay yeah. attention? Yeah, yeah, no? yeah, very
0: much so. If you said, Dad, what do you think of this? And he'd give you honest opinions. This yeah. guy's great. He, well, I, this podcast, can we say anything? You can say anything no. you, okay. you want, okay. yeah, yeah. No, but, like, he, don't <laughs> He had, you know, if he was listening to something on the radio, and he hears this guitar player, he said, man, that guy's a bitch. And that, you know, that's a compliment. Yeah. You know, he loved guitar players. When he could hear a good guitar player, some people, you know, would try to bring it down, but he was the opposite. You go, know, man, that guy, he blows everybody away. Yeah. And he always had that respect for his peers. He
1: didn't feel... He, it looks to me like just... You have some footage in the film of him doing some lectures and... and yeah, he loved know. those lectures. He was um, doing those lectures. He didn't feel... He, he really enjoyed sharing what he learned and what he knew. And he did, also it didn't look like he ever felt threatened. No. Yeah. No, it's funny
0: because when he broke into the business in the late oh, like mid-50s, no one would help him except for a guy named Bob Bain. Bob Bain was like the older statesman who's... You know, Bob just turned 90. Bob was the one that helped him. you know. So when he got to the point of helping people, he was the one that helped everybody. I mean, a lot of people he helped break in. And that's um, and always been noted with a lot of guys. Um, I think the greatest thing about me on this project of 19 years are people talking about him as a person. You know, how he would do something for someone. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if I told you that story about Chuck Rainey, the great bass player. Right. Phenomenal bass player, but records are different than TV and film. Everything is a different hierarchy in terms of musicianship. What you need to do, you know, when you get into film, there's no you. There's no messing around. There's no leeway in terms of the music. Usually, you got to be. You know, everything's boom, 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 boom. And versus maybe a record is a little looser. So Chuck said I'd get my first date. He says movie date. And I'm there, and he says, I've never met your dad. He says, orchestra's going on the first take, and he says, I lose my track. He says, the bass signature changes, you know, and I'm lost. He says, I just just can't find it. And your father comes out of nowhere with a huge sound off the chord. And they looked at to Tommy, you hey, right, Tom, yeah, I'm good. Let's do it again. So they roll back the film. This is in projector days, in the early 70s. So it's taking time to roll back. Let's do it again. And He starts going. The orchestra's going, and Chuck says, "I'm lost again." He says, "I can't make that change." And your father comes in louder. Tommy, you all right? Yeah, I just lost the pick. Let's go. No problem. And he turned to Chuck. He says, "All right, you're on your own now." <laughs> you know. And the thing was, he could do that for those guys because yeah. he had been there. Yeah. And That's those were great. those were the proudest moments for me when someone tells me those stories. Yeah. You know. And I asked some of the guys. I said, "You know, because he had a reputation of being the master when it came to reading guitar, and that's because he literally studied it so hard. When he was in the when he moved to L.A., he would take music, flip it upside down, so he didn't memorize it. He would take trumpet books and be able to transpose all these different books, different, you know. So he was the king of that stuff, and everybody looked at him like he was nuts because he could do
1: it." Um, but that's a certain level of genius. I mean, not. Well, a, I mean, you, you know what? It, you, I wonder. It, it, there's work ethic involved in that, yeah. but there's also something wired in in exactly Tommy's brain. There was. that's not like anybody. And else. You know what and it re- translated to something right. And he was amazing. able to do
0: two things: is take yeah. the the that part of the brain and put it with the pretty you know sensitive with part, the artful artful. Side, yeah. What's interesting is when, and I love you know musicologists or would probably understand this, but he loved gambling. He loved numbers oh, wow. he loved uh, accounting you know those wow, were wow. so i think it's all those patterns he could yeah. see
1: yeah
0: you know No, i get that on a sunday man he knew what the spread was you know he knew how many touchdowns he needed or what <laughs> needed to be to make that <laughs> bet so so was it wasn't
1: you know it came in good you that's know. that's great you know. so uh, let's talk a little bit about your path to get the movie made yeah. so um you get your dad's diagnosis, yeah. and you guys realize there's a limited time you've got with him. Yeah. and Was this specifically to kind of document his life, and then no, it became no, the group? Or? N- no, no. It was
0: always going to be the group yeah. first, and that was the funny thing, because my buddy John Leandakis and I at college at Loyola Marymount, we had done a, a short film or a short doc, you know, 20 minutes on him uh, in college. It was awful. It was awful. I mean, the only thing that came out of it was him. And a couple of interviews that we did, you know, we did Henry Mancini, we did Bill Conti, Steve Lukather, um, Frank Duvall from uh, Happy Kind and Mirth Makers, and Frank Zappa. And, but the f- seminar footage that's in the movie is from that. That was something that was really special that we got out of it. Yeah. So when I came, I always wanted to do a thing about the group of them. So when I started that round table with my dad and all these sessions, Hal Blaine, Carol Kaye, the only woman in the group on bass, and Plaz Johnson, when I put the four of them together, I kind of wanted it to be a voyeur in a sense. I mm. wanted it to be like Broadway, Danny Rose, where you kind they all talk about Woody Allen, who was Danny Rose, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. They're just these, all
1: telling stories yeah. and know and and, and each other. And, right. Yeah. And that's
0: what I grew up with because I never saw a guys play. It's not like I went to nightclubs to hear these guys play. No. They didn't. They wouldn't
1: come d- over to the house and just hang out. They if, would play cards. They were, yeah. <laughs>
0: they didn't play <laughs> but they music. Were, they, but they were but telling they were, stories, right? right? And that's exactly it. They yeah. were ribbing each other. Yeah. Like, when they got together, it wasn't like they It was like. Da, 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 and they was zing, zing, zing. <laughs> and so that's kind of what I wanted to get. And I got it. Because I knew it's like. You know, putting four mad dogs in a a cage or whatever, they're going to go nuts, right? right? You know, you're going to get
1: something. What's also really fun is, and this is typical, I think, of stuff like that, is the... um the disparity sometimes in certain memories of, oh, yeah. oh, that's not how that happened, this is how that yeah. happened, or it wasn't that many. Was, I mean, even just the number of people that are attributed to be in The Wrecking Crew yeah, was as, that, as few as, well, like, that's the qu- 10 and as it, many as and then it really
0: does And the thing is, The Wrecking Crew, the whole thing about The Wrecking Crew, it's not... A real group. It's yeah. not a. It's it's really. About, it's not a defined group no.
1: of people. Although there were certainly guys consistent threads that were consistent. Through, yeah.
0: And what happened was in the we should have said this at the beginning. He set it up maybe, but those guys became later known as the Wrecking Crew. These were the young folk, young. Well, they were young. There was thirty, you know, nineteen sixty. But these guys are coming in where the older established players are not going to do this rock and roll stuff. A, it might have been non-union, may have been gold, uh, they might have been doing demos, which were illegal, right. you know, which is amazing. Now they're legal. <laughs> but demos were illegal. They used to say, listen, um, who was it? Uh, Sonny Bono. That's another story. But it would be like uh, uh, one for, uh, one for uh, 15, two for 25. You know, That's how you would do it. It's like, all right, I'll do two songs for 25 bucks. You know, that's how what was the non-union thing. Yeah. Well, these guys would do that at the beginning. And then they started becoming the guys that were doing the Phil Spector stuff, the Brian Wilson stuff, right. the Janet Dean stuff. Now these guys are in demand. You know, the older guys weren't going to take a chance on some of this stuff because they're working at NBC or doing the movie calls. Or yeah, they're, the, and they're doing
1: the big, you know, big standards. Like, yeah, or, exactly. Or capital Sinatra Records. and those guys. Right. right. They're right.
0: not taking a chance. Right. And getting busted and, you know, getting not paid. Yeah. But now these guys are doing it.
1: And then the business takes off; it becomes real business, yeah. and so these guys are, are locked in. Uh, so, so you're, so you ha- have the the chance to s- get those four all together, including yeah. your dad. And it starts. That, that was when did you shoot that? That was ninety six,
0: July ninety six, June or right. July ninety six.
1: So the real formulation for what you wanted to do
0: was going to be basically that, there. based on those four, and I was going to keep building on tables mm-hmm. like that. I wanted to be a voyeur, you know, like I said, but, you know, I was shooting film at the time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things happened in those days with film is very difficult. You know, you got to. It's expensive. Expensive.
1: expensive. (laughs) I got to buy
0: film, got to develop it. You got to, you know, then transfer to tape. Uh, What format? Do I do this? Do I do that? Right. And and I didn't want to use the video at the time and just kept going on and on. And you had to have a bigger crew, you know, I'm paying. The crew was always great. They were friends and always helping me. But you still got to get
1: guys together.
0: Right. And this lasted for about four years before I finally started moving over into video, and that was just a godsend.
1: Yeah, and, and it started to develop to be a little more quality. Yeah, at that better point, quality and more portable. Yeah, exactly. And you're picking up people as you go. Now you you must have been able to. You mentioned earlier a lot of these different guys like Herb Albert and, and well, the
0: guys that were easy to get with the musicians. Yeah, you know, you know, so Al Casey, you know, he was in Phoenix, and once I got Hal, uh, Hal Glenn sorted i said i'm gonna come out to do al casey as well and then i went to go see um snuff garrett in tucson Mm -hmm. that was the only trip i ever made but the other guys you know earl palmer uh, hal blaine and carol and everybody else i did by themselves it was all done in la
1: anybody just not want to
0: talk about it um yeah there was but not these guys you know i tried you know it's funny because i got turned down the only ones that ever turned me down were contemporary artists or management. Let's just—I shouldn't even say contemporary artists, but management. You know, you try to get into. Let's say uh, I remember trying to get uh, Max Weinberg or or Springsteen's people. Right. You know, they turned you away quickly. Tom Petty's people didn't. Have, you know, and I know these wow. people respect these musicians. Sure, have and so, had a lot of influence. Yeah. So I maybe they I, maybe they never heard. Yeah. But you know what? And you, the best thing that happened—they turned it down. Yeah. Because in the end, the film's much better without that.
1: I, I, I didn't even it didn't even occur to me. I didn't miss that at all. No, no at all. And the other thing when you because asked... here's the thing because it, we we know those songs. They're so exactly. those songs are so indelible. Those are kind of the 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 obvious stars. Yeah. To see this all, we didn't the 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 influence is obvious because yeah. those songs were amazing yeah. and and. And you know, you just bring up Pet Sounds alone, yeah, uh, and the number of people who have said what an influential album that is, and yeah. to know that these guys were part of that. It, um, I love the stuff where they're talking about Brian Wilson because I I, right. I fully expected somebody in there to go, oh boy, what a nut job! But no, no they they no. really saw that he. He had a vision, and he was trying to get to it, and they were—they yeah. went along for the ride. Yeah, it, it must I have th- been really fun for them to be a well, little experimental. maybe. Yeah, and
0: I think you know, for my—it's funny because I think everybody's different. Mm-hmm. You know, for Hal, it was different for him. For my father, you know, he doesn't really care. My father had a different. you know my father liked him because he's, they sounded like the high lows to him, yeah you know my father didn 't maybe care for the music, he but liked the harmonies he liked the harmonies that yeah. that's where he 's coming from yeah. um interesting, but they all like and, you know they all have respect for him because they knew what he knew that they knew that he understood what he was doing, or you know what I mean it wasn't like they could easily call out a, a sham you know, or you know a fake They could easily see that or someone that really didn 't know what they were talking about they were they were cool with it if they were fine if they were nice people they you know but if they were like jerks then you got a problem yeah. but you know but they were really cool you know listen most don't forget most of these people hadn't not nearly as much knowledge as these musicians in that studio the guys are coming in at you know they're kids brian's a kid right you know the rock and rollers are just young kids in their teens or late twenties. Well, if anything, or early twenties.
1: If anything, somebody like Brian sees an opportunity of these Very remarkable so. musicians who might actually be able to get this stuff that's in his head actually out on tape.
0: You know, I've, I've heard different uh, stories. And you never know who's, you know, where it goes now. Right. But I heard it was you know he was hanging around with the Phil Spector sessions. But Dean Torrance told me it was um, when they were playing together. This is of Jan and Dean. Jan and mm-hmm. Dean. Right. And he said they were doing a concert together, and they started hanging, and he said, you know, that's when uh, Surf City, uh, he wrote Surf City and gave it to Janet Dean, and they did it, and Brian came in, and he saw all these studio musicians, because that's what they always used. Mm -hmm. And Janet Dean used two drummers that had Earl Palmer and Hal Blanett together at once. And he said, that's when he realized, oh, these guys do this, and they said, yeah, you come in, you know, they just do your music for you, Brian. And it was, Al Jardine, it's funny because, you know, uh, there's these, you know, you're always going to have, how do I put this uh, nicely? Um, (laughs) You're going to have fans that are just rabid and know, they're going to know way more than I will. And I promise you, you're out there, you know way more, that's great. But the film never says, you know, uh, what I'm saying is the film, they started collaborating after the first couple albums. So I'm saying this because I got someone started going off the other day, saying, they play their own music. They did play their own music at sure. the beginning. We yeah. all know that. Right.
1: But when it started to get more
0: complex Exactly, and that's what Al Jardine said. And here's where the where the take it takes off. When our Al Jardine said Brian didn't want to go on the road. Yeah. He just didn't like it. And he just wanted to write. So now he's the opportunity to write Musicians like my father and Hal and Ray Paulman and Steve Douglas and Don Ring, they're all coming together. They're going to listen to Brian. They're, gonna, they're getting paid. They're going to listen to him. They respect Brian. It's like anything at home. You go home, you don't have respect from your family. Do you know what I mean? Right. Now, yeah, he's yeah, got his brothers and he's got his cousin. He's and his got a, dad yelling at him. Yeah, yelling at him. At him if they're not going to, you know, and that was where I think where it kind of was a, probably a big relief for him. Yeah. So he could spend hours and just, they would just listen and do what he asked. Right, right. You know, I, so, and like Dean, uh, like um, Al said, he said, that was the thing. He says, yeah, we, it would have taken us weeks to figure out what he was doing, learn it. But we had to learn it to go on the road with it, but it would have taken us weeks where these guys could come in and do it, you know, quickly. Yeah.
1: So ultimately, you started to get more and more footage. You got to cut together. Well, obviously, I
0: kept going, going, going. And, you know, and like I said, I just kept collecting footage. Right. In 2016.
1: But came, you knew all along the biggest issue was going to be... Get music the rights because you have well, you have to feature the music. Yes, yeah,
0: it was like I was. You know, it's funny. You, yes, we always knew that was why everybody said they're not going to help. Right. And the problem was, well, what music do you need? I don't really know until I cut it. Yeah. So I'm in a weird situation, and I described it as if you had a beautiful property overlooking Malibu, and you you know you got the plans, you got this property, and you got the appliances all ready to go, you got your fixtures ready to go. But you can't do anything with it unless you build it. And that's what I had. I had all this great footage. You know, I had I knew the bit beginning. I knew the middle. I knew the end of this these careers. And so I finally, we just kept going. And Susie, my wife, was concerned we had the most expensive home movie ever. <laughs> you know, and she was right. You know, because we just kept, and that was 2000s. You remember, know, market was up. So we, you know, refi, you know, refi, oh, pay boy. off that, pay off that. And Kent, all of a sudden, people... You know, I always say, well, the only ones that did help were, you know, Visa, Wells Fargo, Countrywide. <laughs> they were very nice people. <laughs> so, and they cut hey, me off. here <laughs> you go, money. Exactly. Uh. Oh, that's enough now. Oh, oh. oh. So, You know, Mom helped us out, and we just kept doing it. And then finally we cut the film. 2008, we got into South by Southwest, and we went, oh, this is great. It's one of the great festivals. Now it's also 2008. World's upside down. Right um we still have a back end we paid for the festival use for the music but we still have this huge back end at that point it what was a,
1: the estimate for i think it about seven
0: hundred fifty thousand, probably close to a million because yeah. i knew what i had negotiated with the labels which they had given me a good price was probably about seven did didn't know what the musicians union was going to be didn't know how much of the stock footage and all that stuff was going to be so it could have been a least a million yeah.
1: what so, what do you estimate you you had spent oh probably on, about three four hundred at that point yeah so obviously the, the biggest expense was going to be yeah yeah all this yeah and you were not going to see that back
0: no no yeah. and that was no one's going to ever give us our money back Yeah. No. you know so you're hoping that an angel's going to come and say and i tried to say well standing in shadows did you know whatever they had fine right, blah, right. Blah, blah. oh well no, no no so no and no hbo no showtime no, no. hbo looked at it and they said, it's really not our kind of thing. You know, there was no, you know, and it's true at that time is, yeah, you know, there was no, you know, if one of the musicians kills someone else, maybe. But, you know, <laughs> and there's still time for that.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, you needed just one good
0: tragedy, which um, unfortunately happened, which was the Spectre thing. Yeah, was that's bizarre. right. Yeah, that no happened kidding. in the middle of this. And then all of a sudden that became like that music was frozen. You can't license any of that music at that point. Oh, no. <laughs> You know, this poor woman dies and now this is going out. And I'm trying to control people, you know, doing things in press that shouldn't be, you know, not them, but others. And I had a lot of, I wanted, I should have a DVD chapter and tell the truth about everything in the end. (laughs)
1: You won't believe it, but. You can't tell one of those stories now?
0: No, just, just, you know, it's just some heartache. But I mean, one of the things that was, I always loved telling was the story about trying to find stock footage. And, um, you know, why would anybody bring a camera? It's like, do you bring a camera to work? No. 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 right? It's no different for them. You know, they were recording songs. No one's in the studio most yeah. of the time. There's so, very
1: little, other than still photos, there's, there's very little, little of anything shot. There's something that looks... Obviously, very staged and and weirdly shot yeah. with right. this, like Which, big blinding floodlight or something. Okay, that
0: that is exactly what I'm going to tell. It's like
1: the only footage exactly. of those guys coming into the studio. That's very funny. So I
0: call. <laughs> God, it's such a great It's, well, it's true. It was the great. It's, well, it,
1: because it stood it, out so yeah. obviously.
0: And the thing is, so I call I put an ad in the paper, in the Union paper, says, "Is anybody got you know super a footage?" Finally, Hal says to me, he "says You know, there was that one time." He says, I had an 8-millimeter camera, and uh, we had this party coming, so I took the camera to work and filmed all the guys, directed the guys, because I basically cut it into a porno. (laughs) It was like probably a 1952 porno, like (laughs) 8-millimeter. So I said, okay. All right. So he sends it to me, and I go, now I got this 8-millimeter can. I can't can't put it in my projector. It's too brittle, so I have no idea what's on it. So I can't take it to mom and pop place around the corner that does, you know, home movie transfers. <laughs> da da da. So I, uh, you know, God help me, what's on it? Be arrested. So I take it to a lab. We do a late night l- transfer, you know, and they did like a midnight run, and they it was so brittle. We had to put it through the gate so slow they put yeah. it through the gate. And yeah. so in between these hardcore, <laughs> hardcore 1952 <laughs> sex scenes. <laughs> come my father walking into a room and then glenn campbell's waving to the camera and don randy's you know doing some lip tricks and it's like you know then it's hardcore hardcore and yeah like,
1: <laughs> oh my god so but finally you got something of them. yeah it was cool. awesome I mean, really nothing of them nothing of them playing no nothing as no. a document yeah no
0: and that's a drag. but you know what i was thrilled and then you know the last about six months ago it was only then did I find out there was footage of the v- Good Vibration Session. That was uh, like EPK, Electronic breast Kit, at the time. And then I found another documentary that was done, I think in 1968, about uh, songwriters. And it featured the guys in the studio playing with the Mamas and Papas. So that came out of like, and it was Lou Adler that told me. He says, I just saw this footage of your dad. Da, da, da. I was like, what? Because no one ever saw that You yeah. know, it's f- 50 years ago.
1: Oh, wow. So that was really cool. Yeah, and there's also some great audio um tape of like the Sinatra. Oh, peaks. that's
0: that was to, to me. This was
1: the duet he was doing with yeah. Nancy.
0: So I had basically that the story on the, you know, I, for those when they before they see it, they'll see this is that story about something stupid the song. Um Al Casey the guitar player talks about how he was on it with uh Glenn Campbell and they were playing it, they had this opening and Frank wasn't happy with it because it wasn't what he had heard because the original was from Carson Parks. He wanted a similar sound. He wanted a similar sound. And then finally, said to Glenn, who was doing it, said, listen, I did the original. He said, you do it then. So they did it. and said, okay, that's it. So that was just the story. And then all of a sudden, someone sends me that, that audio clip
1: of Frank and Nancy, you hear Frank directing, it's it like so beautiful. And you I what's interesting, you don't hear him blowing up. You just oh, kind of no, no, hear no. you just hear him kind of dissatisfied. And it's less, he was, he's, he's tr- he was he's thinking about it. He was working, and I love when he's
0: he's teasing Nancy in the booth, he's, and she goes, "Daddy," and you know what I <laughs> yeah, mean. And it's it like, and it was, it was like, oh my god, and yeah. you know. So I showed it to Nancy, and Nancy was thrilled that I found that, and. Um, and it was the greatest thing. Was then I had I had to recut it, and I tried to cut it a couple times, different ways, and I realized you can't cut it to picture. That's why I pulled pictures out of that. Yeah. And this is one of the things I said about I'll tell you about that later. But I just put a vu meter because mm-hmm. you got to focus your viewer yeah. to listen. Yeah. Then you know what's going on because That's if very you start effective. looking at pictures, you're gonna and when I was saying earlier about going from film to video, the problem I, I regret, the biggest regret I had was not seeing my father for that whole year with a camera or a cassette player or anything. Because I was too hung up on making it sure it was film. You know, oh, I don't have a film camera, I can't do yeah. it. You know, and I again, and when I did get to him with a film camera, he was too weak. Yeah. We have an interview, but it's not, it takes it out. So... Yeah. But it was, uh, but that was a really good, that... Sinatra thing is one of my favorite
1: new little things did your dad appreciate you doing this did he yeah he I think feel so. like it was, he, he, the, never this saw was something?
0: A, he never saw a frame yeah you know and I think it's funny because but now, he understood what you were yeah, going yeah, for I right I think so yeah. yeah because especially when I'm sitting at that round table and things are kind of like you know it starts dying out somewhere and he'll he knows where to bring it back yeah you know um oh what I was going to tell you is I was never going to be part of this story you know that story of my father and And these guys—it's always going to be the group. And what happens? We had thirty-minute cut, and and a friend of mine looked at. He says, "Why did you? Why are you guys cutting it like this?" I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Anybody in this building, we could cut this like this, and it'll be—it's a history doc, channel." He says, "You got something. You have insight that none of us have, and you're not—you're not going there. And I didn't want to go there, because in my head, I was going to be the director, surprise everybody later. Oh, you know, he's the you know." and he said you're not doing it. And so I said, all right, how are we and I don't want to go on camera. And so it was like, all right, well, let's just do a voiceover. And when we started doing the voiceover, all of a sudden that allowed us to go this direction or this direction or this direction. It was a huge lift off yeah, our shoulders yeah. the editor and I because it was about my father and his extended family right. the wrecking crew. But
1: Beca- and then it becomes his personal story Absolutely. and also the fact that you started it before he passed, and mm-hmm. then and then your struggle to get it done is is kind of always there in in the background. People I, who know it yeah. know that, but but that you were still driven to kind of tell the story. It's 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 a it's a Valentine to your yeah. dad for yeah. for the things he contributed yeah. and all these amazing people around him.
0: You know, I it, it's ama- You know, one of the things um, people don't realize are the these musicians are parents they have families they did everything else like every other you know family had you know they had sickness they had to put food on the. they had to send their kids to school and i remember you know in the early days you couldn't get a loan if you're a musician now my dad's making more money than the damn bank president you know what i mean but, but he because
1: of what he has to put on occupation yeah. on the form yeah yeah he's i mean he's it was really, really, silly, really
0: silly stuff sometimes yeah. um but, you know, so, I, you know, I hope people understand musicians, all artists, if, you know, they're, they're we wouldn't be here in a radio station if it wasn't for these guys. Yeah. And you know what? These guys wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the radio. Because that's the other thing. Radio in those days was huge. And that's what developed that market of the labels. When Liberty Records, they were doing an album a day for months. Why could they do it? Because they could get it to the radio station, get it on the air, and see by, you know, a few days if it was going to go anywhere. Right, right.
1: That was yeah. the, I mean, that was not only... That was the heyday of pop music, which coincided with the heyday of Top 40 radio. Exactly. Which basically w- was that whole era that you're talking about when they were playing was the first time the youth market had ever become anything. Yeah. You know, and the Beatles and the British invasion was happening yeah. simultaneously, so it was... It shifted everything. Yeah, the pop but, culture, and I mean, culture entirely changed their point of view on stuff.
0: Yeah, I think I was reading where it was it, because if the radio labels didn't—they weren't sure if rock was going to sell. Right. That was one of the reasons why they weren't investing a lot of money. They weren't going to let these guys play unless it was, that's why they had studio musicians play. They knew they could save their money, and I think the what was—I can't remember—it was like some Broadway show could have been the king and i was the biggest selling album 1960 something you know what i mean (laughs) right because that's what they were pushing right um but it was the great thing about radio was also and you've heard these stories probably is they'd finish the radio or finish the recording session do an acetate at the studios right as soon as they're done and get it up to kfwb you know give it to martindale or one of the other guys and you know hey check it out we just got the Janadine da, 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 you know and they're playing the acetate Play it off an acetate
1: yeah yeah. the immediacy of that immediacy. you would think and it, it's funny because you would think it's the opposite because of the, the technology uh, it, oh my god how many like, lawyers do we have to go through to get yeah, this Yeah that's on? right you can but you could you know you can email else you yeah. know you can send it digitally but it takes forever because you have to go through jump through so many hoops oh, here's yeah. a guy walking with the uh, it's still warm from the yeah. machine over to the radio station
0: the guy said sometimes they would be <laughs> driving home and they wouldn't even be in their driveway, and they had already heard it on the radio.
1: <laughs> amazing. It's a crazy talk. Out of this whole thing, and congratulations, by the way, just to, to stick with this and to see it come to fruition mm. is amazing. What's, what's the thing that surprised you most in this process? Um, the support I got from strangers.
0: Who just had a passion for, yeah. for the music. Huge, and the, yeah. huge. I mean, listen, my family stuck with me, and it, it takes its toll. Yeah. You know, one of those things where I always remember um, asking those guys, you know, one of the questions was, how did it affect your personal lives? Now, you asked earlier at the beginning of the interview, my mom kept us together. Mm-hmm. Dad must have done pretty well, because I don't remember my dad being gone that often, even though that was part of his life. But well, mom must have kept it together. But I remember um, Plas Johnson, when I asked him that question, how did it affect your personal life? And he paused and he says, you know, he said first of all he said, you know, when I was doing the Murph Griffin show, my kids go to school at eight o'clock, I go to Murph Griffin at three o'clock, I don't see the kids, I come home at nine thirty, ten o'clock, they're asleep. And this is what was going on for years. You know, he's working during the day and you know that he said and he paused, he says, You know, I'm a better grandfather than I'm a father. Mm-hmm. You know, now you don't have to be a musician, you don't have to be a DJ, you don't have to be an artist. You know, that's any one of us in America trying to make it work. Right. And and it and it's the that fine line of balancing um, uh, your work and your family. You know, well, God, I got to stay because I got to make this buck. Right. And that's where I've been with this for the last few years. It's been really difficult because, thank God, my wife's been working you know you know for the last year and a half it's been like Danny's just you know right. this has driven. been your thing and yeah. it's not great mentally i mean it's probably it's taken its toll but i'm it was the strangers the emails you get from people that seen it or people crying at the end of a screening yeah. you know i think that was some of the greatest it sounds awful awful but someone coming up to you in tears because whatever happened in that movie, and I don't know, because uh, it was personal to that person. Well, it's you know you know
1: how mu- how impactful music. Yes, can be. very much and, so. And the fact that you were able, and it was it was a brilliant choice to tie it into something that people can relate to, which is you can look back and see that your dad did something special, yeah. and even though he did it in a very, you know. Professional, a, 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 a professional way. Professional yeah, and, and workmanlike yeah. way. He did something remarkable yeah. and and you wanted to be able to tell the world about all these mm-hmm. guys and what they did. And so uh, you know, all that combination of some a very human story and this music that meant something in so many people's lives and still does yeah. to this day. Absolutely. And
0: that's the great you know, that's the other thing which happened by accident. You know, when I say by accident, you know, you don't plan it out like this. We knew the personal story would be good. But what the impact was now as I look at our demographics listen, I'm not getting the 18-year-olds there. Yeah. that's OK. Some do though, which is really cool. But when our demographic means people have lost their parents, they're about to lose their parents, they're going to lose their parents, We're all in that boat. you know. Uh, musicians are a piece of cake. You know that's like shooting, fish in a barrel. Right. I mean, they're, they're just just eating this stuff up. Uh, anybody that knows this music, 50% of the story's already given because you know the music. So I'm really thrilled of what is happening with the movie. You know.
1: What song do you have a renewed appreciation for after making this? Is there one that was in your head all the time?
0: Um, there's 110 songs. I didn't, get down to, I didn't get turned down by one song. Wow. Or One label, one publisher didn't turn me down. Um, there's a couple out there that were not so nice, but mostly, they, were,
1: they were squeezing you for everything you
0: get. And there was always the ones that had only one song. It's yeah. like, really? <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. Um, but the song, the, you know, I would put songs in there that meant something to me. It's like, why would you pick that song? You know, like memories from Elvis, Yeah. you know, it's so the comeback special. Well, that's my dad at the beginning him playing just with Elvis, you know, in memories, you know, yeah. doing all that. And you hear his gut string. The other one that, again, people probably never heard, because it's never been released, I don't think, on a CD, is uh, um, Ray Charles singing um, It's Not Easy Being Green. Yeah. And that's my dad again. Wow. And that's the last song of the movie. And the reason I play that again, because that was what he loved doing. That's when he loved, he was in, that was Tommy. You know, that's when he felt, I'm here for this. Mm Mm-hmm. Anybody could play the you know the Bonanza theme and the Batman theme and the Green Acres theme. There, there were you know ten guys ready to go on all that stuff, but no one touched them when it came to that gut string and that pretty yeah. nylon thing. And I think that was always uh, always meant a lot to me. You know that's why I think the Fifth Dimension stuff is always great to me too.
1: And what would Tommy say if he had the chance to see this movie and it's finished for him? What uh, do you think he, he would say? He'd be say? a basket case. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. He would be, be it, inside big bowl of mush. Oh yeah, you know? extremely. I mean, I mean, he would have. Been,
0: my mom falls apart every time she sees yeah. it. And she sees it every every time. But I, I think he he was extremely sensitive. He looked like a bull in a china shop, but right. he was a crybaby. <laughs> he was awful, <laughs> you know. Commercials and you know, Charlie Brown was that's the great. greatest greatest cartoon for him ever. Because I think he looked like he felt like Charlie Brown. Yeah, I think that's what. You know, I remember there was a few times, you know, because he didn't look the part of a musician. He was a big guy, overweight, he always had to deal with that. Uh, But he was, I think a lot lot of musicians that become, you know, great or artists is because they have that insecurity of other things. So they really focus their art, you know, they really want to focus something that they can be good at.
1: Well, the whole thing is a great testament to not only his his great artistry um, and his just his path and all those guys I mean what they contributed but to yours as well to yeah. to follow through on it to get it done and to have Continue to have that relationship with your dad, even after he's yeah. long gone. It's he never left. Yeah, that's the weird part of he'll, that. He'll always, he'll always, always be, be there. around. It's
0: amazing. Yeah, which scares you when you're. You shouldn't be doing things.
1: <laughs> that's the moment it, it, like, you're doing something he would not approve of know, in one like, of his songs. Eh, maybe I should leave. It alone. <laughs> hey, Denny, congratulations! Thank on you this. so much. People have to check this out. And I, it's is it uh, as it as it's released in la yeah. is it also going on demand and yeah it's and going on video
0: on demand it's going on itunes march 13th it was interesting when we made the deal they said all right well you know what we'll give you five cities theatrical you know and it's like 75 cities now oh wow because it's just and i think you know what it was we had pushed this for so long i met though back to those fans those are the people that helped in kickstarter those are the people that came out and saw the film mm-hmm. And we just stayed in touch. Fifty thousand of them this week are on like Facebook now. We have thirty thousand. Well, I ones. first
1: discovered it four years ago and reached out to you because I I reacted probably the same way once I heard about what was what it was and what it was the, what the subject was. It was like, of course, people need to know about these guys. Of course, they do. It's
0: why shouldn't a, an artist know about Picasso, Monet? Yeah. You know, one of the great uh, new guys, Mark Shulman, one of the great drummers. He said, "You can't." He said, "I don't care what you say." He says, "You could hate or never heard anything that Earl Palmer and Hal Blaine ever did, but you can't say you weren't influenced because whoever you liked over the last fifty years liked something that they did and right. they copied it, and right. that's how we learned." Yeah, yeah. so
1: beautiful stuff. Congratulations, man! Awesome. Get a monkey.